0: Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball. And today, I am joined by a special guest. She is a professor, a radio station owner, and she lost her sight at a young age. So we're going to be talking to her about how life was growing up, what it's like to be a blind professor. And we're going to be talking to her about her radio station, Beach Baby, Alicia Eidson. Thank you for joining me today.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you for having me. It's it's an honor.
0: Oh, anytime. Why don't you start off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, anything that you might want them to know, a little bit of background about you?
1: I am originally from California, and I moved across the country all the way to Florida about 17 years ago. And gosh, I am a mom and a grandma now, and a wife. And I like to I like to think of myself as a good friend and a good a good sibling. I have I have siblings and so I'm kind of your stereotypical person just growing up and had a few challenges and am learning to overcome them as I go.
0: So let's talk about growing up blind. When did you lose your sight? How did you react to that? And what was life like growing up, starting off sighted, but losing your sight?
1: Yeah, I was I was born sighted, as you stated. I went from early on until about eight years old, just fine. And I had a third grade teacher who noticed, I guess, that I was squinting a lot, noticed that my grades were not as good i was i was really a pretty bright kid i guess and because of some vision loss which i didn't even realize was going on because it was such a slow regression so anyway she noticed so hats off to her she told my mom and so my mom took me to an eye doctor and I was immediately diagnosed with an eye disease called chronic uveitis. And the doctor explained it mostly to my mom. So the language and the words at eight years old, I didn't really understand. I did hear him say, eventually go blind. But although I, I knew what blind meant, I don't think that it hit me. You know, the way that it hit my mom, I was given a pair of glasses. And at that point, anything that was blurry cleared right up. So I didn't even pay attention to blind. It didn't really feel like eventually I would go, quote unquote, blind. It was about two years later when the glasses weren't helping as much. I went back to the doctor. They gave me a different set of glasses that were stronger and a little thicker, weighed a little bit more. And again, I could see, I thought just fine. And so that was around middle school. And then again in high school, it was starting to get a lot worse. And by this time, my glasses were bifocals and very, very thick and they magnified my eyes. So people just saw this this girl coming down the hallways or walking into a class with these very thick glasses and and bifocals and big huge eyes and they made fun of me they laughed at me a lot i was i was always embarrassed by the time i was 18 i was legally blind i was able to drive for about a year and a half at 16 the glasses helped so that I could see the light colors and the changing and the cars. But it didn't last very long. It was about a year and a half. And I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore. So they took the license away. They called me legally blind. And things were very fuzzy, very blurry. And yeah, by the time all that happened, I was in my junior year of high school and it was very difficult going to school because kids are not very nice, you know, they're kind of mean and they're, they're just, they're into name calling and making fun and teasing and making jokes and I use large print books and they would pretend like they were carrying my books, like they were heavy bricks, and they would make noises like they were grunting to pick them up. And so it was, it was very difficult growing up that way. I finally left. I left school. I took my glasses off very angry one day and smashed them <laughs> because they weren't helping. And I was I, I think I was angry and I was depressed. And yeah, that's that's what it was like.
0: So what helped you make it through those tough times?
1: Well, in the beginning, I think I kind of kind of went into myself. You know, I I started reading a lot with audiobooks. and I kind of just kept to myself in the beginning. I was introduced to a program uh, at the Braille Institute where I was just going to classes to deal with So they were like adjustment classes and grieving classes because I was grieving a loss. You know, my vision loss, they considered there a loss, like a death, you know, a part of me that died. That's kind of where it began. I also met somebody that was wonderful and he actually didn't mind the fact that I was losing my vision. In fact, he, he embraced it and he was a Marine and he and I kind of fell in love and did the get married thing and we had a child. I was still in that late process of having a little bit of vision, but not much at all. So as long as I could kind of get myself around, I think he was okay with it. But when I went totally blind a couple years later at age 23, he couldn't handle it very much anymore. And, and he left. And so that ended my marriage. And I, I really did need to pull through a different way And so I went back to the Braille Institute and I met a lady, her name was Cora. She was absolutely amazing. She was upbeat. She came alongside, she talked to me about doing some counseling and, and she asked me if I ever wanted to do better and, I told her I didn't think that I could do better because I couldn't see anything anymore. And she asked me if I had any plans to get a job or go to college. And and I said, no, I didn't think that I could. And she helped me. She educated me. You know, she helped me to understand that there was a whole life that I could have after blindness. And in the beginning, I thought, this woman (laughs) must be crazy. You know, she can see she doesn't know what she's talking about. So, but she started me thinking, she helped me to get into classes, she helped me to find a front office position as a receptionist. And I owe everything that I do today with where she started me because I really had no idea. I didn't know other blind people. My family didn't know blind people. So we had nothing to stand on in the beginning. But Cora really, really was a great influence, a great role model Not in the sense that she was blind and she taught me things from a blind perspective, but she worked with so many other blind people and she worked in the community and she was able to help me get involved in programs that would really help. So in this job, I had my own paycheck. I didn't have to be dependent on you know, things like welfare, food stamps, or any of those things anymore. So she also helped me seek out some career and vocational programs, which helped. I was super excited about that because I didn't know about any of these things. I didn't know about accessibility I didn't know that there were computers that talked or software that made the computers talk. I just didn't know any of it. And so she introduced me to all of that. Really, that's how it all got started.
0: Well, let's talk about going through college. How hard was it to get through being blind with stuff, maybe not being as accessible or accessible like it should be? And how did you manage to get through?
1: Well, at school, when I first started, I started at a two-year college in California. So was, they called it junior college back then. I think now it's community college. But I went and there were people that worked in the disabled student center that were paid to be note takers. So they would write everything in notes in print. And so I wasn't sure what I was going to do with all these notes, but they came in and they took, you know, fabulous notes. I just needed to get them put on a tape. So there were people at my church that I went to, that would read all of these notes onto tape. And they would also read the chapters that I had to read for that week on cassette tapes. And I would take them home. And that's, so between the notes and them reading those chapters, I was able to keep up with the other students. That's really how I made it through my a degree, which I got. It took two years, like pretty much everybody else. And seriously, oh, and I used a guide dog on campus. So that's how I got from, you know, class to class. I was trained by an orientation and mobility instructor to help me use the dog to get from place to place on the campus.
0: So, Talk about the degrees that you do have. And these degrees have led you to be a college professor now. So tell us about that and tell us about the degree that you have.
1: Okay. The, the, the two-year degree that I got was an, was an arts degree in human services. So human services, it was kind of a general degree That helped me to learn how to understand kind of where I came from. There was was human services, which entailed victimology, because there was some abuse in my past. As a very young child, it helped me to understand where I was and where I could be emotionally. And there was some drug and alcohol certificates that I received, and some family studies certificates in that program that I received. So I thought that I would continue on and get a bachelor's and possibly a master's so that I could later be a marriage and family counselor and help others in my same situation or in similar situations And so I did. I went to a four-year university that was in Fullerton, California, and it was called Hope International. I got a bachelor's of science degree there in human development. So I understood at that point then how people's minds developed and how the developmental process of people changed who we are from A to B and from B to C, you end up becoming that person that you started, you know, back at the A level, right? So you just made this big, huge circle. And so developmentally, I was understanding other people, but I was under also understanding myself and how the process led me from way back when to where I was at that point. And so then I realized that I could become a counselor if I got a master's degree. So I kept going in that same university, they had a master's program in marriage family therapy. So that was the third degree that I received. And I have to tell you that way back when I was in my first process for the first degree, when I walked across that stage the first time, oh my gosh, I mean, I was shaking. I was excited. I I had tears. I felt so accomplished. And I think it was that sense of accomplishment that really, really led me to going and getting the next two degrees. And of course, I walked across stages then two more times because it was my way of acknowledging and my family's way of acknowledging uh, acknowledging how far I've come or how far I had come. I was, I was a very proud graduate for sure. It wasn't easy. I had to work a lot harder than the average sighted student because there were so many extra steps to take. Learning the technology, I didn't know anything About what most blind people know of now. JAWS was the screen reader that I've always used. I was very, very lucky to have been able to have the vocational program, the VR program that I was in, purchase the JAWS software for me because, you know, at the time, I was a single mom because I was divorced at that point. I had my son in my marriage. There was another situation that was going on in my family. It wasn't me personally, but it was my sister, and she was having her own issues. She lost her son, and her son was in an orphanage, and so I didn't want him to grow up you know, in a in the quote unquote system, you know, so so I ended up being able to adopt him. And so of course then I was a single mom to to two boys and I I was going to school the whole time while I was parenting both of them. So I had some extra challenges. But you know what? I I made it through because I have a really big God and because I knew some great people that helped out with babysitting so that I could go to school. So they helped, they helped me all through the whole college process. And when I think about it right now, I, I kind of tear up because although it was so hard at the time, I did it. And I did it because I had a good support system. I did it because of technology and how far it had come uh, during that time. I did it because I had some really good friends who helped me and I had scholarships. And so it helped with the cost of going to school. And so I really feel like, in so many ways, it was difficult. But I also feel like in so many ways, my support system and the technology really was like, that, you know, we talk a lot about a hero, or we talk about a lot about uh, wind beneath your wing kind of thing. And, and I think all of those you know, supported me and was, was that wind.
0: So. So let's talk about you being a college professor, being a blind college professor. How do you prevent people from cheating on tests or doing things that they're not supposed to? How do you run your classes and make sure that people respect you as a regular professor and not try to take advantage of you?
1: Oh, yeah, that's tough. I guess I, 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 kind, I started as a marriage family counselor. Becoming a, a marriage family counselor was quite a success story also. But after doing it for quite some time, I, I realized that it was time to stop. And that's kind of a whole different interview probably. But because I was a perf- or a, a counselor first, I had worked with so many couples that were hurting. There was a lot of sex addiction and affairs and depression. And I think that in that process of counseling, I learned so many things that I wished I had known before I got married. And I wish that these couples had known before they got married. And so I had to decide where I would go after being a counselor. And when somebody told me that with a masters degree i could teach at a community college i thought i might look and see if i could teach something in counseling or something in in some of those other fields so when i applied they told me that i would qualify for teaching human sexuality and i would qualify for marriage And the family or marriage and intimate relationships. So those are the classes that I applied for. It took about three months from the time that I put in my application to the time that I heard from anyone. So three months is a long time to wait. I was I was really, really thinking that they weren't going to hire me. And I was feeling kind of down on myself, I think during that timeframe. But when she called me, the head of the department called me and she interviewed me. And it, it it was pretty exciting because I was able even to teach her how I would do things because she said to me, one of her first questions was, well, would I have to hire somebody to sit in the classroom with you? And I said, no, of course not. You would hire me to do the job to teach like you would anybody else. And so she asked me some of those same questions that you did, uh, Curveball, about how would I do this, that, and the other thing. And so really I use technology a lot when students have to take a test instead of taking a test in the classroom, because I did have them do that in the beginning. But I could hear the whispers, and I, I knew they were exchanging answers, and I couldn't really stop it. So we started using the campus technology. At the time, it was called Angel, but now it's called Canvas. And so I used that program. We set up our tests online and they take all the tests online some of the students that might need extra time or extra help they'll go into maybe a disabled student center and take their tests and they're monitored so they can't cheat and for the other students they just they have to do it timed so they can't really cheat either the program enables the test to kind of be proctored on its own. So because there's a time limit and because they wouldn't have time to rush through and race through notes or race through a textbook, which, you know, some of them probably do have that because I'm not sitting there or someone else isn't sitting there. But it's done so quickly that really they do have to know the information. So that's how tests are done now. In the classroom, I do lectures. I do group projects. So I put them in groups and, and they work together on some of their things, some of their tasks. And their papers are done individually and they email them to me. So my screen reader reads me the papers and I can do some responding back to them in in an email. So it really has worked. I've, I've been there for 15 years and I haven't had any major complaints from anyone I'm on Rate My Professor and um, most of my ratings have come back pretty good. So I think that I've learned how to make things interesting. And I bring in speakers from the community. So if we're talking in a human sexuality class about the different lifestyles or gender identities or orientations, then I bring people into the community who work directly with that population. And so they will talk about it from their points of view. If we're talking about sex and religion, I'll bring in a pastor from the local community or a priest or a rabbi, and they talk about it from their perspectives. If we're talking about being a victim, then I'll bring in people from the community such as Be The Hero, a counselor who works directly or strictly with those who might have been raped or sexually abused. And so there's lots of ways to bring in the community. And by doing those community speakers, I'm able to teach And educate my students on what programs are in the community. So some students won't speak speak out about some of their own issues. But now I've taught them, even though I may not even know that they were in that position. Um, But I do give them papers at the end of every semester to write that, that helps them Compare where they were five years ago to where they are today and where they want to go five years later. So then again, I can respond to that and I can help them and give them some new ideas. And so I develop rapport with the students with some of the things that I give them to do. It all seems to work out pretty well because, you know, some of them have invited me to their graduations later and. Some of them have invited me to weddings later. So I feel like I've done pretty well as a professor. And I feel like technology, using JAWS, using the campus, Canvas situations have all helped me to stay connected with them and and they to me and have helped me to get away from some of the things that they do that aren't, you know, like cheating or whatever. I did have a student one time who was cheating and someone else identified it and came and talked to me after and so was able to call them out on it. Most of the most people are good, you know, most people are good. You do have students who will do things behind your back, but when they're blatant out in the middle of everyone, somebody most of the time will come and tell me. Like I was wondering one day in the classroom why my dog was acting crazy, because usually he just lays there and he's really good. They emailed me, another student emailed me because they didn't want to say anything in front of the whole classroom because the guy that was doing it was one of the baseball players on a you know a athlete athletics team and and they didn't want him to to know who it was so they emailed me and they let me know what was going on and so i was able to confront him and i called his advisor his the from the athletic advisor and so that stopped right away but you know, people will try to get away with whatever they can. But I think that with technology and with the way that things are set up today, and I always have the back backup of my supervisor, he'll listen to the student, He'll listen to me, and and he always backs me up. so i've been I've been pretty, pretty um, fortunate that students don't try too many things too often. But, I mean, there's always going to be one that does, and there's always going to be one that is going to feel bad and kind of let me know behind the scenes what's what's going on. So I feel like, you know, between using JAWS and between using the campus, uh, campus programs and um, between students who are filled with in- integrity and, and honor. It's, it's worked out pretty well. And I think that I, I enjoy doing what I do. And I think, I think it's good.
0: Well, it's good that you have people like that looking out for you. Let's jump into talking about your radio station. You've also not only have you accomplished all these great things in your life, But now you're also a radio station owner. So talk about how you got that started, what you guys are doing, what's your format and anything else that you want people to know about your station.
1: Well, the station is Ocean Waves Radio. Today, actually, is our five-month anniversary. We um, started October 16th, went on the air then, and so today... We've been up and running five months. I call it Ocean Waves Radio because the beach is like my happy place. It's my favorite place to be and it brings me so much peace and I love the sun and it's it cheers me up no matter what is going on and I, I just love it. So we're OceanWavesRadio.com. We're on Facebook. We're at Ocean Waves Radio on Facebook and on Twitter. We're Ocean Waves 407. We just started Instagram today. And so there's some photos of me and my family at the beach right now. I hope to get photos of all of my DJs working. And so that's the hope in the next few weeks. We have a great format We work with several genres. We have jazz and we have music for the old soul, we call it, which is a morning program that plays 30s, 40s, and 50s, Um, early 50s. We have another format that is 50s and 60s. It's cruising with Johnny V at the hop. And we have one, two, three DJs right now that are doing different shows that are 80s, 90s, and uh, 2000s. We have two different country formats. One is very classic, old school, 40s through the 70s. And we have the new, brand new country of today, Beach Baby has uh, her Beach in It with Beach Baby show, and we do Caribbean sounds and tropical sounds. We have Jimmy Buffett and some of the country singers that do beach songs about the beach, like Thomas Rhett Sand and and Toes in the Water by Zach Brown Band and Jimmy Buffett and all those. There's gosh we have two days where it's all christian praise worship and hymns that's every every wednesday we call it worship wednesday and on sunday we call it sail away sunday with the captain and we have pastor chats on sundays we have we have people from the uk doing some of our worship shows So we have quite the gamut of a huge variety, very diverse. You know, we're looking for new DJs and we're looking for new ideas. We just this last week started a children's hour four days a week. So for one hour, we play all children's music and that's super fun. We have two DJs doing that. And gosh, I don't want to leave anybody out. Oh, we have New Wave, Alternative, and Punk Show once a week for two hours. So we, we really do have a huge variety. And so we have a show for everyone. I mean, there's just about everything. There, there are a couple things that we may add in the future, But oh, and we have um, yesteryear's baseball, which is a game that's played actually uh, once a week. We have two teams from history play one another using dice and using stats from the year that they're being played. Uh, They're able to play again and we do a regular series. So we have, we're on our third series right now. Game five just played and it's the Mets and the, oh gosh, ah, the Mets and the Reds, I think. Ah, I hope I'm not wrong, but um, they do a game uh, right now. They're in the, like I said, just finished the fifth inning or the fifth uh game and so hopefully there will be two more games and we'll see who wins but we have that on friday mornings i'm looking for a sportscaster i want somebody who loves sports to uh come in and do an hour at least an hour a week i love football and baseball and and I kind of keep up because of other family members, what's going on with, uh, with basketball and hockey. I, uh, one of my DJs is totally into golf and he wants to do a golf show, but I don't want just a, a strict you know, golf show. I really want to encompass all of the sports. So that's what I'm hoping for in the near future. We love it. And we're a great team, and and we love working together, and we haven't had any real issues thus far. So the hardest thing, again, is technology, and it's just learning all there is that can be done and all there is that should be done. But really, for five months, I think we're doing well. We're growing. We started with two DJs. We have 10 now. So we're really moving quickly and we're loving it. So hopefully anybody who listens that is interested could email us at oceanwavesradio at gmail.com and let us know where you're interested. There's also a DJ application on our website that they would need to fill out. So, so yeah, we're, we're just loving it. It's super fun. I love music. And I love the beach. And so I've been able to coincide the two of them, kind of join the two of them together. So yeah, it's exciting.
0: Sounds like you're doing a great job. Why don't you have any final thoughts before we close it out?
1: I guess because you are talking with a lot of people that, that have overcome blindness in so many different ways. I I guess I just want to end it by just kind of letting people know that, you know, whether you're sighted or whether you're visually impaired or blind, you know, we can look at it as, as a real bummer and, and anybody would, I did, it was, it was not an easy thing to overcome and there's still things You know, after all these years that we have to overcome. But one thing that I always say, and I I use the ocean as my format in this, but you know, if I'm cruising along and I fall out of the boat for whatever reason, and the waves are hard and they're strong, and I... I have to fight to keep myself, my head above water. I have to tread, 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 and I will do whatever it takes to swim back and get back on the boat, you know, because the only other option is to sink. And I don't want to sink. I want to tread and I want to keep swimming and I want to get back on that cruise ship, you know, because that's where life is good. So, I guess I would say to your listeners, if you're only treading to keep your head above water, you know, find a way, find a path for you to swim back and get back on the boat, because that's where it's fun, that's where it's safe, that's where you can get from point A to point B, and we all have, or should have, goals And even though I've come as far as I have, I still have goals to go farther. And so I'm going to find whatever way I can to make that happen. And so I would hope that that would be the case for your listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me do this. It's been, like I said in the beginning, an honor and, and I love it. And I love sharing my story because... I
0: want it to be able to help others. Well, we sure appreciate you coming on. And I definitely wanted to get your story out there so you could help others too. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Alicia, the Beach Baby Itzen. <laughs> Make sure to follow, subscribe, share, review, and rate after listening.